Amen. Let's turn in the Scriptures to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. The book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We welcome the Sabbath school to the service today. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read from the verse number 1. Hebrews 4, reading from the verse number 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter in, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us, la- let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. As we consider it and ponder it now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart may be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. The verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4 reads, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. There's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is one of the great texts in Scripture which explains and expounds the power of God's Word 
It's always good and beneficial for us to remind ourselves of these things because there is no book more important to us than the Word of God. Without the Word of God, we would have nothing to present in God's house. Without the Word of God, we would have no precious volume to consult. Without the Word of God, we would be without the very voice of God Himself because the Word of God is God's voice. That's a very important thing to remember. Uh, My words, you're hearing my voice. Whenever we come to God's Word, we're hearing God's voice. That's the importance of the Word of God. There has actually been some discussion amongst biblical scholars as to the meaning of this phrase, the Word of God. John Owen called the Prince of the Puritans one of the great scholars of the 17th century in an age when these islands were blessed with remarkable Bible scholars. He argued that the Word of God here is not the Scriptures, but is actually Christ. Of course, we can understand why he is saying that, because Christ is also called the Word, particularly in the writings of John, exclusively in the writings of John. And perhaps that is why we can't discount that idea, uh, even though we do not have the, the skill or the scholarship of John Owen, because Paul is writing Hebrews, and Paul does not call Christ the Word. Only John calls Christ as the Word. John Calvin, however, was quite determined that what Paul meant here was the Scriptures— the Word of God, the Scriptures of truth themselves. And of course, in the writings of Paul, he has already called the Scriptures as the sword of the Spirit when talking about the Christian armor in Ephesians chapter 6. So I think we are in very clear ground to say that the Word of God here is indeed the Scriptures of truth. Of course, there is a coming together of of these two ideas, and Mr. Owen was not altogether wrong, because the subject of the Word of God is Christ. You cannot begin studying God's Word without discovering Christ. The ultimate way to study the Bible is to look for Christ. He is there in all the Scriptures. So in the Word, we find the Word. In the Scriptures, we find the Son of God, because Christ is a great revelation of God. And the Scriptures reveal to us Christ. That is their purpose. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me, the hymn writer wrote. And that is a very good prayer. And so let us consider the Word of God here, uh, using this great metaphor that Paul employs. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So let's think of the the two-edged sword of the Word today. First of all, let's think about the nature of God's Word. We are told in this verse 12, the Word of God is quick. It's quick. That's an old English word. It means to be alive. The Word of God is alive. 
It's a living word. And this is what sets it apart from all other books. Because it is God's word. It's living. The words of men, they die. The words of men do not remain. The words of men become out of date. They become antiquated. But the word of God continues because it lives. What does the Bible say about this nature of God's word? Well, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verses 16 and 17, we read that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we, we, are, we are told there that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So everything that we need as Christians is found in this book. Everything that we need for our happiness on earth and everything we need for our eternal delights is found in this Word. Not only for Christians, but those of you who are not Christians, who haven't come to know Christ as your Savior, everything that you need to know, everything that you need to discover for your life is found in the Word. To be without God's Word is to starve yourself. Ultimately, to be without God's Word is to be dead, just as to be without food ultimately will die. We need the Word of God, and it is given by inspiration of God. And this word inspiration, it defines the living nature of the Bible. The, the word inspiration, it literally means God breathed. That's what it means. The scriptures are the very breath of God. And we know that God does not have lungs as we have lungs. He doesn't have a material, physical body as we have. Therefore, God does not breathe as we breathe. But nevertheless, these words are used in order to help us understand that this book really is part of God. This book comes from His mind. This book is the product of, of God's will. This book is the product of God's wisdom. This is God's Word from beginning to end. And we know that God cannot lie. Therefore, there are no inaccuracies in this book. We know that God cannot change. Therefore, we cannot change the teachings of this book. We cannot change the practices of this book. We cannot say this part of the book isn't quite up to date with modern culture. Therefore, we have to change the church or we have to change what we're doing or we have to change what we're teaching to bring us up to date. We cannot do that. We dare not change the Word because the Word never changes. The Bible is eternal because God is eternal. The Bible is alive because it is very much part of of God. We cannot see God, but we can hear Him through the Word. It lives as God lives. Christ said something quite remarkable about this Himself, the living nature of, of, of the Word. In the book of Matthew chapter 4, whenever He was tempted by the, the devil, and in Matthew chapter 4, in the, the verse 4, the devil tempted Him to command the, the stones to be turned into bread, for he was hungry. And the Lord responded in verse 4, quoting from the book of Jeremiah 8, verse 3. He said, it is written. You see how Christ, he appealed to the Scriptures as his, as his authority. When confronting the devil, he said, it is written. This is what the Bible says. And that's how we respond to Satan. That's how we respond to temptations. 
That's how we respond to errors. That's how we respond to the, the godless culture of this age. What does God have to say about it? It is written. And the Lord quoted from Moses, and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And what a text this is to explain what the Bible is. The Bible is that which proceeds from the mouth of God. And this word proceedeth, it's a continuous present verb. The Word of God proceeds and keeps proceeding out of the mouth of God. We should never think of the Bible as a book that, for example, quoting from Matthew with Matthew open or quoting from Hebrews with Paul open. Oh, Paul finished the book of Hebrews. That's it. The book of Hebrews is done. Moses wrote the final sections of the Pentateuch. That's that done. David wrote the Psalms. That's them done. John wrote Revelation. That's the Bible done. That's it finished. You know, if we treat the Bible like that, we're just treating it like another book. A book that men who are now dead have written. We can't treat the Bible like that. The Bible, yes, is complete in relation that God has no more written inspiration for us. But the Bible is still proceeding from God's mouth. So whenever God inspired Moses to write the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch was written for Israel in those days, but it was also written for the church in every age. And whenever Paul was writing to the Hebrews here, he was writing not only to the Hebrews, but for the church in every age. So God had us in his mind, and he had our thinking. And, and God knew that this message would be delivered this morning. And therefore, God has a word for you because God's word is always proceeding from his mouth. It's always proceeding. It's, it's never done proceeding. It's always alive. It never dies. It's always there. It's always present. God's always speaking to us continually in the present through his word. It's as alive today as it was when Paul wrote these words or when John wrote these words or when Matthew wrote them. Whoever wrote them, they were only the penmen. They were writing what God gave to them to record and God preserved that word and it's still coming. It's still proceeding. It's still there as fresh as it ever was. Applicable to us today as it was applicable in the first century, or in the years B.C., still is applicable today. The nature, the living nature of the Word of God. And what we need to remember is this. Whenever you open the Bible to read it, God's taking you into His chamber. You open this book, you have an audience with God. God's speaking. That's the solemnity of it. That's the serious nature of this book. As soon as you Open it for your daily readings. This is God speaking. It's His Word. Whenever we come to God's house and God's Word is read, this is God's Word. It's being expounded upon. It's being explained. This is, this is God's Word. It's living. The reason why we may feel at times we don't get anything out of the Bible there's nothing wrong with the book. It's us. It's our hearts. We're not listening. Or we're treating it flippantly. We're treating it just like any other book. We're treating it as the words of men. We can't do that with God's Word. It's the Creator that's speaking. And therefore, there will always be a word 
for us from the Bible. Always. As you read it, God will speak. It's our hearts. It's our own obstinate minds. It's the problem. It's never the Word. Because the Word is living. It's always living. The nature of the Word of God. The Word of God is more alive than anything else in this world. In 1 Peter 1, 24-25, we read that all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. Generations come and go. We all have our little day upon this earth. Our lives are just like the flicker of the candle. Our lives are just like the little bird coming in from the night and roosting for a little while in some barn and then morning comes and it's away. That's just our lives. We just have a a little day. Little time and it's gone. Just like the vapor. But the word of God endureth forever. The power, the living nature of the word of God. But let's move on and think about the power of God's word now. We're told not only that it's quick, but it's powerful. It's powerful. The power of God's Word. God's Word's like a little seed, you know. A little seed sometimes looks very insignificant. And yet it grows. It develops. What power is in that little seed? Life is in the seed. Ability to provide, to feed. Ability to cover a vast area of ground. The power of a seed. And yet, you you don't necessarily see the seed growing. You might look at it, you might watch, and day after day you see nothing, and then suddenly there's a little green shit. It grows so slowly and yet so certainly. And you can see the effects of that growth. And that's just like God's Word, the power of God's Word. Sometimes we despair because there doesn't appear to be the results following the ministry of the gospel. But then we are reminded of the parable where the men were sleeping, but the crops were growing. And it's God that produces the crop. It's God that produces the harvest. We just sow the seed and we leave it with him. And that seed may be developing underground in someone's heart and soul, in the heart of some child developing, the heart of some young person. We, we, we don't see that. And then eventually we start to see the little shoots and we say, praise God, God's doing a work there. It's his word, you see, the power of the word. There's a great text that highlights the power of God's word. It's certainly a more dynamic idea than the idea of the seed and The seed is dynamic in its own right, but this is an amazing text in Jeremiah 23 and 29, where the Lord said, Is not my word like as a fire and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? The the power of God's word. It's like fire, it's like a hammer. And both of these things are, are destructive. The fire destroys, 
The hammer destroys, it smashes. But yet, neither of those things ultimately destroy. They reshape. They fashion. They form. And something different comes after the fire, after the hammer. But it's part of the work, molding, shaping landscapes. The great volcano erupts. And there's fire and there's lava and such destruction. And yet afterwards, there's a new landscape. And there's nutrients that never were there before. Fire reshapes the hammer. The hammer is so needful in order to melt metal down and to beat it and to mold it. The rock is smashed in order that the, the precious metals might be derived from that rock. But the smashing is so important. And, and that's how God's Word works at times. God's Word needs to break down. God's Word is consumed, consumes us. God's Word shatters our hearts. God's Word makes inroads upon our souls in order that we might be the people that God wants us to be. There is so little of that breaking under the sound of God's Word today. It seems that we're happy just to read or to listen and go away. But do we really want to be changed? Do we really want the power of God's Word to make an impact upon us? In the Psalm 19 and the verse 7, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And there's two things about that verse in relation to the, the power, the fire and the hammer. The law of God is perfect. It converts the soul. The soul needs to be converted. You're here today and you're not saved. Your soul needs to be converted. And it's only the Word of God that can convert your soul. You, you cannot change your own soul. You can't transform it. Only God can do that. You can't transform the sinful nature of your life. You can't forgive yourself. And sometimes that's a mistake that some people make. They try and forgive themselves. We, we cannot forgive ourselves. We need forgiveness from God. And we need Him to change us. This new creature that Paul talked about in the book of Corinthians, when a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creature. It's a work that God does inwardly. It's a new birth. And that only comes about when we are exposed to the teaching, to the ministry, God's Word. And God's Word is powerful enough to convert us, to bring us from darkness into light. But then the psalmist writes in the Psalm 19 and the verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure it makes wise the simple. The word simple, it refers to someone that is absolutely ignorant, someone that doesn't have knowledge. But that person is made wise when that person is exposed to the assurance of God's Word. The simple are made wise. Oh, the, the power of God's Word. Power to educate us. Power to give us knowledge that we'd never before have had. Power to give us peace that is unattainable in this world. Power to give us assurance. Power to give us a purpose. The power of God's Word. It's the best message we ever can spread around. To our children, to 
our wider community, the core message of the Scripture, because it's a powerful message. There's no book like it. But then, finally, I want you to think about the sharpness of God's Word, because this metaphor of the sword is used. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the two-edged sword is a sword that has that double edge, and the, the swordsman, whatever way he slashes the sword, it's sharp. So it goes one way and then the other. No matter how he goes, forwards, to left or to right, there's an edge there, a destructive edge. Power to inflict pain, power to wound, power even to kill. And the Word of God is described as something that is sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, if, if you're not saved today, if you don't know the Lord, one of the methods that God uses to save the sinner is to produce conviction. And that conviction takes place when the sharpness of God's Word pierces into the heart. When you're going to feel that. When God puts His hand upon your sin, when He puts the point of God's Word upon your soul, you're going to feel that. You're going to experience that. The sharpness of God's Word. Now, he, he describes how it pierces in this verse 12. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So he takes the illustration, perhaps this is the best way to explain this. He goes to the joints and marrow. And here's a sword powerful enough to, to sever a man's joints go right through the bone, expose the marrow inside the bone. It's a very graphic image. But he uses that image to highlight this piercing nature of God's Word. It divides the soul from the spirit. And here, Paul is taking us right into the innermost nature of our being to a place that the surgeon's scalpel will never reveal, to a place that no scanning device can ever uncover, to a place that only God can see, which is very much part of the fabric of your life and mine. Ultimately, it's the only fabric that counts. It is the soul and it is the spirit. Because the body will die, the soul and the spirit will live on. The soul and the spirit these are the eternal aspects, the everlasting aspects of our natures, the, the self-conscious, the self-aware aspects of our natures, the aspects of our natures that set us aside from the creatures, from the animals, from the birds, from the wild beasts. And in the soul and spirit, we will meet God, either in heaven or in hell. In order that we might go to heaven, the Word of God must come and pierce the soul and the spirit. Word of God must reach the soul and the spirit. 
Word of God must go beyond the mind. Word of God must go into the innermost parts of our being. Must get into the, the very heart. And by the heart we mean the soul of man. And the Word of God does this. It pierces us in this way by becoming a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And what's that all about? That this is how the Word of God discerns the soul from the spirit, how it divides. It, it reveals our innermost secrets. It reveals the wickedness of our own hearts. It reveals the blackness of our souls. It reveals our need of grace. See, the Word of God gives us the mind of God. Remember, this is God's Word. This is God's mind. This is God's truth. And we are sinners before God. And that's the solemn message we need to get. The Word of God teaches us something Judgment day honesty. Judgment must begin in the house of God. The Word of God judges us because God judges us. And the Word of God reveals to us our sin. It reveals the sin of those that are unconverted, but it also reveals the sin of those that are Christians. It reveals the sin of those perhaps that are sitting quite comfortably. But you know the sins in your life are holding you back from serving God. They need to be dealt with. There'll not be revival in this country until there is a work done in our hearts and the hearts of all of God's people. And therefore, as we come to God's Word, we must pray, Lord, show me yourself. Show me your mind. Show me, Lord, what you really think of this heart of mine. Help me to see my blackness. Help me to see my sin. Help me to see my need of grace. Convict me of my sin. Shake me out of my lethargy. Lord, drive me to prayer. Drive me to Christ. Help me to flee from my sin. As God's Word discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. There are secrets in this world. There are hidden things in this world, hidden things in life. We hide nothing from God. God's Word knows it all, because God knows it all. We dare not run away from that, because as the Word wounds, it also begins to heal. The wounding is necessary, the sharpness is necessary, but as we flee to Christ, we find the position of the soul we find that forgiveness and we find that rest that is discovered in Him alone. Oh, let us pray that we would allow ourselves to be opened up by the piercing nature of the Word. That we would find the rest that is discovered in Christ alone. One final remark about this two-edged sword. And it's a lesson for every Christian here and how we deal with the Word of God. A two-edged sword required a lot of skill. A swordsman was a very skilled fighter in ancient times. Highly trained. Highly developed. Great talents to be able to use that sword. 
And of course, a sword in the wrong hands, and particularly a dangerous weapon in the wrong hands, whatever that weapon is, can have dreadful consequences. God wants us to be skilled in the use of the sword. There's a world out there to witness to. There's people to talk to about Christ. But we need to be able to give the answers and responses. And we don't want the sword to be in the hands of people who don't really take time to read the Word, to think about the Word, to study the doctrines of the Word. If we are going to be useful instruments in the hands of God, we must know how to use the sword. And that's why we have to give ourselves to the Word. And we will be effective as to how we use the sword for Christ. And that's why we all need to be students of the Scriptures. May the Lord bless these thoughts to your heart and to your soul today. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we pray for your word. Write it upon our hearts. Lord, humble us before the eyes of the one with whom we have to do. May we flee to Christ for rest. In the Savior's name we ask this.